Chapter Fifty One, Part Two of the Deluge, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. The Deluge, Volume Two, by Henrik Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter Fifty One, Part Two. But Gosievsky was waiting for precisely that instant as for salvation. The cavalry were hardly in the water when the terrible royal squadron of Vonilovich rushed at it like a hurricane. Then the Lauda, the Korzak, the two squadrons of the Hetman, and the Volunteer squadron. After that, the armored squadron of Prince Michael Radzivili. A terrible shout, Kill! Slay! thundered in the air, and before the Prussian regiments could halt, concentrate, use their swords, the Voynilovich squadron had scattered them as a whirl of air scatters leaves. They crushed the red dragoons, pushed back Boguslav's regiment, cut it in two, and drove it over the field toward the main army of Prussia. In one moment the river was red with blood. The cannon began to play again, but too late, for eight squadrons of Lithuanian cavalry were sweeping with thunder and roar over the meadows, and the whole battle was transferred to the other side of the river. The hetman was flying with one of his own squadrons, his face radiant with joy and with fire in his eyes, for once he had the cavalry beyond the river, he was certain of victory. The squadrons, emulating one another in slashing and thrusting, drove before them the remnant of the dragoons and the cavalry, which fell in a dense body, for the heavy horses were not able to flee swiftly, and merely covered the pursuers against missiles from the front. Meanwhile, Valdek, Boguslav, Radzivili, and Israel sent forward all their cavalry to restrain the onset, and hastened themselves to put the infantry in line. Regiment after regiment ran out of the tabor and took their places on the plain. They thrust the butts of their heavy spears into the earth, with the heads pointing forward, inclined like a fence to the enemy. In the next rank, musketeers stretched forward the barrels of their muskets. Between the quadrangles of regiments, they placed cannon in hot haste. Neither Boguslav nor Valdek nor Israel flattered themselves that their cavalry could restrain that of the Poles very long, and their whole hope was in the artillery and the infantry. Meanwhile, in front of the infantry, the mounted regiment struck breast against breast. But that happened which the Prussian leaders foresaw. The pressure of the Lithuanian cavalry was so terrible that their opponents could not restrain them for one moment, and the first hussar regiments split them as a wedge splits wood, and went without breaking a lance through the dense mass as a ship driven by strong wind, goes through waves. The streamers were visible nearer and nearer. At times the heads of the hussar horses rose above the throng of the Prussians. "'On your guard!'
cried the officers, standing in the quadrangle of infantry. At this word the Prussian soldiers braced themselves more firmly on their feet, and strained their arms holding the spears, and all hearts were beating violently, for the terrible hussars come wholly in sight, and were bearing down straight away against them. Fire! was the word of command. Muskets rattled in the second and third ranks of the quadrangle. Smoke covered the men. A moment later the roar of the coming squadron was nearer. They are right there. All at once, amidst the smoke, the first rank of infantry see there above them, almost over their heads, thousands of horses' hooves, wide nostrils, inflamed eyes. A crash of broken spears is heard. A fearful shout rends the air. Polish voices shouting, Slay! And German voices, Gott erbarme mich meiner! God have mercy on me! That regiment is broken, crushed, but in the spaces between other regiments, cannons begin to play. Other squadrons come up. Each one strikes after a moment on a forest of lances, but perhaps not every one will break the forest which it strikes, for none has such terrible force as Voinilovich's squadron. Shouting increases on the whole field of battle. Nothing can be seen, but from the mass of combatants, groups of yellow infantry escape in disorder, fleeing from some regiment which evidently was also beaten. Horsemen in gray colors pursue cut and trample these men and shout louder louder that was volodyovsky who with his squadron had fought against a second quadrangle but others were sticking yet victory might still incline to the prussians especially as at the tabor stood two regiments intact which since the tabor was safe might be summoned at any moment Valdek had in truth lost his head. Israel was not present, for he had been sent with the cavalry. But Bogoslav was watching and managing everything. He led the whole battle, and seeing the increase of great peril, sent Pan Baez for those regiments. Baez urged his horse, and half an hour later returned bareheaded, with terror and despair in his face. The horde is in the tabor, shouted he, hurrying up to Bogoslav. At that instant unearthly howling was heard on the right wing. This howling came nearer and nearer. Suddenly appeared crowds of Swedish horsemen approaching in terrible panic. After them were fleeing weaponless, bareheaded infantry, and after the entropy in confusion and disorder, came the wagons drawn by wild and terrified horses. All this mass was rushing at random from the tower toward the infantry in the meadow. In a moment they fell on the infantry, put them into disorder, scattered them, especially when in front they were pressed by the Lithuanian cavalry. Hassan Bey has reached the tower cried Gosievsky with ecstasy, and he let out his last two squadrons like falcons from their rest. At the same moment 
that these two squadrons strike the infantry in front, their own wagons rush against them on the flank. The last quadrangles burst as if under the stroke of a hammer. Of the whole brilliant Swedish-Prussian army there is formed one gigantic mass in which the cavalry are mingled with the infantry. Men are overturning, trampling, and suffocating one another. They throw off their clothing, cast away their arms. The cavalry press them, cut them, crush them, mash them. It is no longer a battle lost. It is a ruin, one of the most ghastly of the war. Boguslav, seeing that all was lost, resolved to save at least himself and some of his cavalry. With superhuman exertion he collected a few hundred horsemen, and was fleeing along the left wing in the direction of the river's course. He had already escaped from the main whirl, when Prince Michael Radzivill, leading his own hussars, struck him on the flank, and scattered his whole detachment at a blow. After this, Boguslav's men fled singly or in small groups. They could be saved only by the speed of their horses. In fact, the hussars did not pursue, but struck on the main body of infantry, which all the other squadrons were cutting to pieces. The broken detachment fled over the field like a scattered herd of deer. Boguslav, on Kmita's black steed, is rushing like the wind, striving in vain by cries to gather round him even a few tens of men. No one obeys him. Each man flees on his own account, glad that he has escaped from the disaster and that he has no enemy in front of him. But rejoicing was vain. They had not gone a thousand yards when howling was heard in front, and a grey host of Tartars sprang forth from the river near which they had been lurking till then. This was Kmita with his men. Leaving the field, after he had brought the enemy to the ford, he turned so as to cut off retreat to the fugitives. The Tartars, seeing the cavalry scattered, scattered themselves at a moment to catch them more easily, and a murderous pursuit began. Two or three Tartars cut off one trooper, and he rarely defended himself. More frequently he seized his rapier by the point and extended the hilt to the Tartars, calling for mercy. But the Tartars, knowing that they could not lead these prisoners home, took only officers who could give ransom. The common soldiers received a knife in the throat and died. Unable to say even God, those who fled to the last were stabbed in the back and shoulders. Those under whom the horses did not fall were caught with lariats. Kamita rushed for a time over the field, hurling down horsemen and seeking Boguslav with his eyes, and at last he beheld him, and knew him at once by the horse, by the blue ribbon, and a hat with black ostrich feathers. A cloud of white steam surrounded the prince for just a moment before two Nogais had attacked him. One he killed with a pistol shot, and the other he thrust through with a rapier, 
then seeing a larger party rushing from one side and kamita from the other he pressed his horse with spurs and shot on like a hunted deer followed by hounds more than fifty men rushed in a body after him but not all the horses ran equally so that soon the fifty formed a long serpent the head of which was boguslav and the neck kamita the prince bent forward in his saddle the black horse appeared not to touch the earth with his feet but was black over the green grass like a swallow swooping close to the ground the chestnut stretched his neck like a crane put back his ears and seemed as if trying to spring from his skin single willows clumps of them groups of alders shot past the tartars were behind a furlong two three furlongs but they ran and ran kamita threw his pistols from the holsters to lighten the horse's burden with eyes fashioned on boguslav with fixed lips he almost lay on the neck of the horse pricked his foaming sides with spurs till soon the foam falling to the earth became rose-colored but the distance between him and the prince not only did not decrease a single inch but began to increase woe thought pan andrei no horse on earth can overtake that one and when after a few springs the distance increased still more he straightened himself in the saddle let the sword drop on its pendant and putting his hands around his mouth shouted in a trumpet-like voice flee traitor flee before kamita i will get you if not to-day to-morrow these words had barely sounded in the air when on a sudden the prince who heard them looked around and seeing that kamita alone was pursuing instead of fleeing farther described a circle and with rapier in hand rushed upon him pan andrei gave forth a terrible cry of joy and without lessening speed raised his sabre for a blow corpse corpse shouted the prince and wishing to strike the more surely he restrained his horse kamita when he had come up held in his own beast till the hoofs sank in the earth and rapier met sabre they closed in such fashion that the two horses formed almost one body a terrible sound of steel was heard quick as thought no eye could catch the lightning-like movement of rapier and sabre nor distinguish the prince from kamita at times boguslav's hat appeared black at times kamita's steel morion gleamed the horses whirled around each other the swords clinked more and more terribly boguslav after a few strokes ceased to despise his opponent all the terrible thrusts which he had learned from french masters were parried sweat was now flowing freely from his face with the rouge and white he felt weariness in his right arm already wonder seized him then impatience then rage therefore he determined to finish and he thrust so terribly that the hat fell from his head 
Kamita warded with such force that the prince's rapier flew to the side of the horse, and before Boguslav could defend himself again, Kamita cut him with the very end of the saber in the forehead. Christ! shouted the prince in German, rolling to the earth. He fell on his back. Pan Andrei was as if stunned for the moment, but recovered quickly. He dropped his saber on its pendant, made the sign of the cross, sprang from his horse, and seizing the hilt, again approached the prince. He was terrible. For pale as a sheet from emotion, his lips were pressed, and inexorable hatred was in his face. Behold his mortal enemy, and such a powerful one, lying now at his feet in blood, still alive and conscious, but conquered, and not with foreign weapons, nor with foreign aid. Boguslav looked at him, and with widely opened eyes watched carefully every move of the victor, and when Kamita stood there above him, he cried quickly, Do not kill me! Ransom! Kamita, instead of answering, stood with his foot on Boguslav's breast, and pressed with all his power. Then he placed the point of his saber on the prince's throat, so that the skin yielded under the point. He only needed to move the hand, to press more firmly. But he did not kill him at once. He wished to sate himself yet with the sight, and make the death of his enemy more grievous. He transfixed Boguslav's eyes with his own eyes, and stood above him, as a lion stands above an overthrown buffalo. The prince, from whose forehead blood was flowing more and more copiously, so that the whole upper part of his head was as if in a pool, spoke again, but now with greatly stifled voice, for the foot of Pan Andrei was crushing his breast. The maiden! Listen! Barely had Pan Andrei heard these words when he took his foot from Bogusov's breast and raised his sword. Speak, said he. But Bogoslav only breathed deeply for a time. At last, with a voice now stronger, he said, The maiden will die if you kill me. The orders are given. What have you done with her? asked Kamita. Spare me, and I will give her to you. I swear upon the gospel. Pan Andrei struck his forehead with his fist. It was to be seen for a time that he was struggling with himself and with his thoughts. Then he said, Hear me, traitor. I would give a hundred such degenerate ruffians for one hair of hers. But I do not believe you, you oath-breaker. On the gospel, repeated the prince, I will give you a safe conduct and an order in writing. Let it be so. I will give you your life, but I will not let you out of my hands. You will give me the letter, but meanwhile I will give you to the Tartars, with whom you will be in captivity. Agreed, answered Bogoslav. 
Remember, said Pan Andrei, your princely rank did not preserve you from my hand, nor your army, nor your fencing. And be it assured that as many times as you cross my path, or do not keep word, nothing will save you, even though you are made emperor of Germany. Recognize me. Once I had you in my hands, and now you are lying under my feet. Consciousness is leaving me, said the prince. Pan Kmita, there must be water nearby. Give me to drink and wash my wound. Die, parricide, answered Kmita. But the prince, secure of life, recovered all his self-command and said, You are foolish, Pan Kmita. If I die, she too. And here his lips grew pale. Kmita ran to see if there was not some ditch near at hand, or even some pool. The prince fainted, but for a short time he revived happily for himself when the first Tartar Salem, son of Ghazi Aga, the banneret among Kmita's Tartars, was coming up, and seeing the enemy weltering in blood, determined to pin him to the earth with the spear-point of the banner. The prince in that terrible moment still had strength sufficient enough to seize the point, being loosely fastened, fell from the staff. The sound of that short struggle brought back Pan Andre. Stop, son of a dog, he cried, running from a distance. The Tartar, at the sound of the familiar voice, pushed up to his horse with fear. Kamita commanded him to go for water, and remained himself with the prince. For from afar were to be seen approaching at a gallop the Imliches, Soroka, and the whole Shambul, who, after they had caught all the horsemen, came to seek their leader. Seeing Pan Andre, the faithful Nogais threw up their caps with loud shouts. Akhba Ulan sprang from his horse and began to bow to him, touching with his hand his forehead, his mouth, and his breast. Others, smacking their lips in Tartar fashion, looked with greediness into the eyes of the conquered. Some rushed to seize the two horses, the chestnut and the black, which were running at a distance, each with a flying mane. Akhma Ulan, said Kamita, this is the leader of the army which we conquered this morning, Prince Boguslav Radzivil. I give him to you, and do you keep him, for dead or alive they will pay you for him liberally. Now take care of him. Put on him a lariat, and lead him to camp. Allah, Allah, we thank the leader, we thank the conqueror cried all the Tartars in one voice, and again was heard the smacking of a thousand lips. Kamita mounted and went with a part of the Tartars to the field of battle. From a distance he saw the standard-bearers with their standards, but of the squadron there were only a few men present. The rest had gone in pursuit of the enemy. Crowds of camp-servants were busy on the battlefield, plundering the corpses 
and fighting here and there with the Tartars, who were plundering also. The latter looked especially terrible, with knives in their hands, and with arms stained to the elbows. You would have said that a flock of crows had dropped them from the clouds to the battle-plain. Their wild laughter and shouts were heard over the whole meadow. Some, holding in their lips knives still steaming, drew with both hands dead men by the feet, others in sport threw at one another severed heads. Some were still filling bags, others, as in a bazaar, were holding up bloody garments, praising their values, or examining the weapons which they had taken. Kamita passed over the field, where he had first met the cavalry. Bodies of men and horses, cut with swords, lay scattered there, but where squadrons had cut infantry, there were whole piles of corpses, and pools of stiffened blood splashed under the foot like muddy water in a swamp. It was difficult to advance through the fragments of broken lances, muskets, corpses, overturned wagons, and troops of Tartars pushing around. Kosievsky was still on the entrenchment of the fortified camp, and with him were the Prince Michael Radizaville, Voinilovich, Volodyovsky, Korsak, and a number of men. From this height they took in with their eyes the field far away to its uttermost edges, and were able to estimate the whole extent of the victory and the enemy's defeat. Kamita, on beholding these gentlemen, hastened his pace, and Gosievsky, since he was not only a fortunate warrior, but an honorable man without a shadow of envy in his heart, had barely seen Pan Andrei when he cried, Here comes the real victor! He is the cause of winning the day! I first declare this in public. Gracious gentlemen, thank Pan Babinich, for had it not been for him, we would not have crossed the river. Vivat Babinich! cried a number of voices. Vivat! Vivat! Where did you learn war, soldier? cried the hetman with enthusiasm, that you know what to do in a moment. Kamita did not answer, for he was too tired. He merely bowed on every side and passed his hand over his face, soiled with sweat and with powder smoke. His eyes gleamed with an uncommon light, and still the vivats sounded incessantly. Division after division returned from the field on foaming horses, and those who came joined their voices from full breasts in honor of Babinich. Caps flew into the air. Whoso had a pencil still loaded gave fire. Suddenly, Kamita stood in the saddle, and raising both hands high, shouted, Vivat Jan Kazimir, our lord and gracious father. Here there was such a shout as if a new battle had begun. Unspeakable enthusiasm seized all. Prince Michael ungirded his sabre, which had a hilt set with diamonds, and gave it to Kamita. The hetman drew his own costly cloak on the shoulders of the hero, who again raised his hands. Vivat our hetman, victorious 
Leader! May he increase and flourish, answered all in a chorus. Then they brought together the captured banners and thrust them into the embankment at the feet of the leaders. The enemy had not taken one of theirs. There were Prussian, Russian, and their generals, militia, nobles, Swedish, and Bogusov flags. The whole rainbow of them was waving at the embankment. "'One of our greatest victories of this war!' cried the hetman. "'Israel and Valdek are in captivity. The colonels have fallen, are in captivity. The army is cut into pieces.' And here he turned to Kamita. "'Pan Babinich, you were on that side. You must have met Boguslav. What has happened to him?' Here Pan Michael looked diligently into Kamita's eyes. But Kamita said quickly, God has punished Boguslav with his hand. Then he stretched forth his right hand, but at that moment the little knight drew himself into his arms. Yendrik, cried he, I am not envious. May God bless you. You formed my hand, answered Pan Andrei with effusion, but a further expression of brotherly feeling was stopped by Pan Michael Grazivili. Is my cousin killed? asked he quickly. Not killed, answered Kamita, for I granted him his life, but he is wounded and captive, and over there my Nogais are bringing him. At these words, astonishment was depicted on Volodyovsky's face, and the eyes of the knight were turned to the plain, on which appeared a party of some tens of Tartars approaching slowly. At last, when they had passed a group of broken wagons, they came within some tens of yards of the entrenchment. The hetman and the officers saw that the Tartar riding in advance was leading a prisoner. All recognized Boguslav, but in what a change of fortune! He, one of the most powerful lords in commonwealth, he who even yesterday was dreaming of independent rule, he, a prince of the German Empire, was walking now with a lariat around his neck at the side of a Tartar horse, without a hat, with bloody head bound in a filthy rag. But such was the venom in the hearts of the knights against this magnate that his terrible humiliation did not excite the pity of any, and nearly all mouth shouted at the same moment, Death to the traitor! Bear him apart on sabers! Death! Death! Prince Michael covered his eyes with his hand, for still that was a Radzeville led with such humiliation. Suddenly he grew red and shouted, Gracious gentlemen, that is my cousin, that is my blood, and I have spared neither life nor property for the country. He is my enemy. Who will raise a hand against that ill-fated man? The knights were silent at once. Prince Michael was universally beloved for his bravery, liberality, and devotion to the country. Even when all Lithuania 
fell into the hands of the northerners he alone defended himself in Nyesvie, and in the time of the swedish wars he contemned the persuasion of prince janusz and was one of the first to join the confederacy of toshoitzi his voice therefore found hearing at once finally it may be that no one wished to oppose so powerful a man it is enough that the sabres were placed at once in the scabbards and even some officers clients of the radzivils exclaimed take him from the tartars let the commonwealth judge him but let not honourable blood be insulted by pagans take him from the tartars repeated the prince we will find surety and he will pay the ransom himself pan vonilovich move your men and let them take him by force if it is impossible otherwise i offer myself as a surety to the tartars said pan Gienowski. when volodyovsky rushed up to kamita and said yendrik what have you done he will go safely out of this trouble kamita sprang forward like a wounded wildcat with the permission of your highness cried he this is my prisoner i granted him life but under conditions to which he swore by his heretical gospel and may i fall dead here if he will go out of the hands and to which i gave him before he fulfils everything when he had said this he struck his horse blocked the road and his inborn impulsiveness had almost carried him away for his face began to writhe he distended his nostrils and his eyes began to cast lightning meanwhile voinilovich pressed him with his horse aside pan babinich he cried aside pan voinilovich roared kmita and struck with a hilt of his sabre voinilovich's horse with such force that the steed tottered on his legs as if struck by a ball and dug the ground with his nostrils then there rose a fierce shout among the knights so that gosievsky pushed forward and cried silence gentlemen gracious prince in virtue of my authority as hetman i declare that pan babinich has a right to the prisoner and that whosoever wishes to free him from tartar hands must give guarantee to his conqueror prince michael mastered his indignation calmed himself and said directing his speech to pan andrei say what you wish that he observe the conditions with me before he leaves captivity but he will keep them when he is free impossible i do not believe him then i swear for him by the most holy mother whom i recognize and on the word of a knight that all will be observed to you in the opposite case you may make demand on my honour and property that is sufficient for me said kmita let pan noyevsky go as hostage for otherwise the tartars will make resistance i will give way 
on your word. I thank you, Cavalier, answered Prince Michael. Do not fear either that he will receive his freedom at once, for I will give him to the hetman by right, and he will remain a prisoner until the king pronounces sentence. That will be so, answered the hetman, and ordering Vonilovich to sit on a fresh horse, for that one was hardly able to stand, he sent him with Pan Gnoyinsky for the prince. But the affair did not pass easily yet, for Hassan Bey made a terrible resistance, and only the sight of Pan Gnoyinsky and the promise of a ransom of a hundred thousand dollars could pacify him. In the evening, Prince Bohuslav found himself in the tents of Gosievsky. He was cared for with attention. Two physicians did not leave him for a moment, and both guaranteed his life, for the wound, since it had been given with the very end of the saber, was not too serious. Volodyovsky could not forgive Kamita for having granted the prince his life, and from sorrow avoided him all day. It was only in the evening that Pan Andrei himself went to Pan Michael's tent. "'Fear the wounds of God!' cried the little knight at sight of him. "'I should have expected this of any other than of you to let that traitor go alive.' "'Listen to me, Michael, before you condemn me,' said Kamita gloomily. I had him under my foot and held my saber point at his throat. And then do you know what the traitors said? That there were commands given to kill Olenka in Taurogi if he should be slain. What had I, unfortunate man, to do? I purchased her life with his life. What had I to do? By the cross of Christ, what had I? to do. Here Pan Andrei began to pull his hair, to stomp from bewilderment, and Volodyovsky thought for a while, then said, I understand your despair, but still, you see, you have let go a traitor who may bring serious suffering to the country. There is no denying, Yendrik, that you have rendered wonderful service today but at last you sacrificed the public good for your own private ends. And what would you have done if you were told there, there was a knife at the throat of Pan Anusia? Pan Michael's mustaches quivered fiercely. I do not offer myself as an example. Hmm, what would I have done? But Pan Yan, who has a Roman soul, would not have left him alive, and besides I am certain that God would not have let innocent blood flow for the reason he mentioned. Let me do penance, punish me, O God, not according to my heavy sin, but according to thy mercy, for to sign a sentencing against that dove, here Kamita closed his eyes, angels forfend, never, never. It is past, said Volodyovsky. Here Pan Andrei took a paper out of his bosom. 
see michael what i obtained this is a command to sakovitz to all the officers of Razzeville, and to the swedish commandants we forced him to write it though he could barely move his hand prince michael himself saw to that this is freedom for her safety for her i will lie in the form of a cross every day for a year i will have myself scourged i will build a church but i will not sacrifice her life i have not a roman soul well i am not a cato like panyan true but i will not sacrifice her no by a hundred thunders i will not even if at last i am roasted in hell on a spit Kamita did not finish for pan michael sprang up to him and stopped his mouth with his hand crying in a terrible voice do not blaspheme for you will draw the vengeance of god on her beat your breast quickly quickly and pan andre began to beat his chest mea culpa mea culpa mea maxima culpa at last the poor soldier burst into loud weeping for he did not know himself what to do pan michael let him have his cry out then he pacified him and asked and what will you undertake now i will go with my men whither i am sent as far as Birigi. only let the men and horses draw breath first on the road i will shed as much heretical blood as i can to the glory of god and you will have your merit do not lose heart yendrick god is merciful i will go directly ahead all prussia is open at present only here and there shall a light upon small garrisons pan michael sighed oh that i could go with you as gladly as to paradise but i must keep my command you are fortunate to lead volunteers yendrick listen brother and when you do find both take care of that one so that no evil befall her god knows she may be predestined to me when he had said this the little knight cast himself into the arms of pan andre End of chapter 51, part 2